Uh, well, when I was at UH, it was totally different. Like, yeah. like our weight room was probably one fourth of the size that we have right now uh, in, the, in the Waterhouse weight room. And it was the, the current football shower room. So that's how small the place was. And we used to share it with the student body. So if we wanted to lift after practice, you would go in there and we'd have like maybe 60, 70 guys in there, please. Hot, sweaty, and stink. And you'd go and do your lift every between sets. You had to go outside just so you could breathe and catch your breath. And that's what that place was. But it was, I think you had like two benches, two squat racks, two leg presses, and one platform, and then dumbbells, and then a pulley system. And that was it. Yeah. So, I mean, but I tell the guys, back then, we had some strong guys. We had a lot of, and we, I think we're stronger than these guys now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That goes to show you that the, the, all the, the facilities and stuff is one thing, but mm-hmm. if you have a passion mm-hmm. to, to be stronger and get better, it's up to you. Mm-hmm. And that, that weight room produced a lot of great players, yeah. and a lot of great teams. Welcome to the HNL Movement Podcast, where everything is geared to leveling up your performance in activities, sports, and life. Join me in my professional journey as I share my knowledge and experiences while also learning from professionals, colleagues, clients, and you with one goal in mind, how to optimize human performance. This is the right place to learn how a multidimensional approach will sustain the performance and lifestyle you desire. Welcome back everyone to the HNL Movement Podcast. Thank you for joining me and today is a very special episode. It is the 100th episode and I can't believe how fast this has flown by. Thank you to all of the great guests that shared their story. This podcast has made it this far with all of the great stories. It was a pleasure and a lot of fun connecting with all the different guests. Thank you everyone for coming on. Thank you to all of the listeners, the supporters. If you're tuning in for the first time, this is the right place to learn about everything that helps you to elevate your performance. All of my returning listeners, thank you again for joining me for another week. And everyone, check out the previous library of episodes. There are 100 episodes now, so go back and listen to some of your favorites. Share them with family, friends, share them on social media, and I would love to hear any feedback that anyone has. Also, be sure to check out my YouTube channel. You can search for h Movement, search for my name or the podcast, and I'm putting up video highlight clips daily that are a great way to watch some of the video content to match to the audio as well. Today I have a very special guest and I don't want to take up too much time before we jump into the episode, but we have Tommy Heffernan. He's the head strength and conditioning coach at the University of Hawaii, formerly a dual sport athlete in football and baseball at the University of Hawaii, and he has a lot of great experiences, a lot of things that he does for the community, and has a lot of knowledge and wisdom to share. We talk about his journey, some of the ups and downs, the obstacles, the growth of the strength and conditioning program at UH, and for those of you in Hawaii that have been to one of the Hawaii Strength Coaches Clinic, we talk about the creation of that and the evolution throughout the years. And it's such a great event to bring together all of the coaches in Hawaii, also bring internationally renowned speakers so that we can all learn and grow in the profession. There's a lot of things that I learned about Tommy in this episode, even though we've talked for years. So I don't want to take anything away from the episode. Let's just get straight into this one and enjoy episode 100. Welcome back, everyone, to the HNL Movement podcast. I have an exciting episode planned, and we have 
the strength and conditioning coordinator from the University of Hawaii, Tommy Heffernan. He's done a great job and has been there for decades already. And I would like to welcome Tommy to the podcast. All right, Andrew. Thank you. Appreciate you uh, reaching out and letting me come on and be on the air with you. Appreciate it. Yeah, we're going to go over a lot of things. And, you know, as much as we've talked in passing and everything, I don't fully know your full story. So we're going to start there. And why don't you share a little bit about, you know, you were a dual sport athlete at University of Hawaii, right? Playing football and baseball. So why don't you explain about that, your athletic career a little bit before we get into your strength and conditioning career? Okay, so I grew up going back further than that. I grew up on the North Shore uh, in Haula. Uh, went to Kahuku High School. Um, toward the last two years, I ended up leaving Kahuku and finishing up at St. Louis. My dad was a huge factor in that. He was kind of thinking ahead and putting uh, me in a different position for the future, you would say. He could see into the future better than I could because I wasn't too happy with that. <laughs> but uh, it probably, what probably was the best move for me as a person, made me grow as a person, as a student more, and then opened a lot of opportunities for me as well when I got to St. Louis. So I graduated from St. Louis in 87. I played football and baseball there. I could only play one year of football because I transferred, so that was tough. But uh, I was able to play football and baseball. Got really blessed and lucky to be able to come to the University of Hawaii on a football scholarship. And I always enjoyed playing baseball as well, but I was on a football scholarship. And I think the second year of football, I was still playing baseball in the summers when we were on a football and continuing to play. And I think one or two guys, I think I remember Brian Delcher. He was a linebacker. And he went out for baseball. His senior, it was his senior year. And he knew that I played baseball as well. So every time in the locker room after football practice, he would go, hey, Hef, man, you got to come and play, man. You got to come and tr try and play baseball with us. <laughs> and hearing that and my passion for baseball, and I finally decided, hey, I want to try it. But um, back in those days, they didn't let you miss, so I would have to wait till I was to go through all my football workouts, practices, and then I was allowed to go to baseball practice. So we had practices twice a day, and that was the way I did it. And then just to have the opportunity to be um, a part of the team with Coach Les, that was a huge dream of mine. Growing up, we always watched Hawaii sports on K5, whether it be football and baseball. And then uh, being able to actually walk on and make the team was a huge accomplishment for me personally. Just because of where I came up from, where I grew up, not too many of us get a chance to play baseball on the next level on the North Shore side. Football is king, as you know. But there's a lot of great baseball players that come out of there as well. But most of them uh, go to the football path. And yes. for me, that represented a lot of the players and coaches that helped me along the way. So that was a big accomplishment for me. I mean, playing two sports at the University of Hawaii was awesome. Awesome. It was hard as hell, but it was awesome. <laughs> Football is real violent and is like passion and emotion and intensity. Baseball is a little bit more mental, mm -hmm. uh, under control. You got to be relaxed. You know, everything is, you got to be even keeled. So it's two totally different environments. It's like yin and yang. I mean, <laughs> yes. two different areas that I was able to be coached by two awesome coaches. We coached Bob Wagner. Yes. Coach, Coach Les at the stadium. So I only, I only played baseball for two years. Mm -hmm. 
And then I went back and played football. But I'm glad I had the opportunity to do both. It was an awesome experience. I didn't realize that you went to St. Louis. See, I didn't even know that part. But even back then, so when you transferred schools, you had to sit out one year. That rule must yeah. have been there forever then. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And then, so when you got to uh, St. Louis, did you, did you like baseball more? Was that more of your passion, even though you played football all through your childhood? I enjoyed both. Both. Yeah, because I was always around the football field. My dad was a coach for a long time. Got it. I mean, my brothers grew up at the field in the in the locker rooms, driving on the buses with the boys. But then I also ha- loved baseball. I mean, I had great coaches. My dad never coached me in baseball. Got it. It was the community coaches. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I mean, I had great coaches at the youth level that made me love baseball because mm-hmm. the way they treated us as players. Not, not about winning, but just treating us as uh, young men and yeah. trying to help us out. And uh, being there for us whenever we needed. So baseball was a big part as well for a bunch of us that grew up together. And we all played football and baseball on that side. We all played football together. They would play baseball and then we go basketball. So everybody yes. kind of did the three main sports. You know what I mean? When I was growing up, yeah. totally different now. And in football, you primarily played slot and receiver and DB all the way through high school? Akauka was quarterback. Okay. In fact, I was a starting quarterback my sophomore year when we lost the OAA championship game to Lelihua. So, and then, so imagine that in December, you're playing for the OAA championship. And then on, in January, I'm walking to lunch with my friends, all football players, and my dad comes and tells me, hey, boy, get all your stuff for you, changing schools. Mm-hmm. So that was, oh, that was hard for me to do. I didn't, I wasn't expecting that. So I went mm-hmm. from starting quarterback at Kuhuku to now you're going to go to a totally different school, private school, all boys school, mm-hmm. um, the other side of the island. And so that was like a real test for me, mm-hmm. um, making that adjustment and then not being able to play sports for a year, only going to school, commuting at 4 a.m., getting up at 4 a.m. Yeah. My dad would drop me off in Kaneo to catch the bus at 6 and then I did that. I didn't even talk to anyone at St. Louis for three months. Mm-hmm. That's how angry I was mm-hmm. with the sudden change. So, um, but after a while, I think I was able to practice with baseball. Okay. Um, because I, I couldn't play, but I was able to practice. So once I got started with the different um, sports and making friends, mm-hmm. and things got a lot easier. And then I started to um, open up a little bit more. I think. Mm-hmm. And then by the time. I got in like a year, six months, seven months. I started to make friends and I started to make that adaptation. So things got better. And then I got better. Yeah, got better. And I slowly understood why the move was made. And and now I totally appreciate what happened. And like I tell a lot of kids, you don't appreciate a lot of things um, when it's going in the current time. Mm -hmm. But later on, when you look back, you're going to realize why. And then you're going to appreciate why. that's definitely true so when you well let's start with baseball what positions did you play in baseball i played shortstop in baseball got it and then i played shortstop during high school got it anyways i played shortstop then when i went to uh uh coach put me at third i I played like third and outfield mainly got it and when you were at st louis playing football for you know the first time there were you still playing quarterback or did you make a position change I started at quarterback at St. Louis, but it was totally different offenses. And Kahuku, we ran the option. 
You mean okay? We are a running team. I was a running quarterback. Yeah, I tried to make that transition to being a running shoe guy. It was tough. Yeah, <laughs> it was tough. So I started there, but it wasn't the right fit. And then luckily, Coach Cal seen something, and then he he moved me over to safety because I played DB too at Kahuku when I was younger. Got so it. he put me at safety, and then it clicked. Everything worked out well for me at safety. It was a better fit for me, uh, and, I, and I enjoyed it. So when you, you know, obviously your parents kind of, that's for all of us, right? They kind of see that, oh, there's more opportunity here. So they kind of guide us in that direction. Like you said, we might not appreciate it in the moment, but when we look back, you know, all of the lessons learned and everything, when you think back on it too, did you have aspirations to play division one or when, when did that click for you? When did you realize I have the ability or I have the opportunities to try to play at UH? Really, uh, I didn't really think ahead too much. I was more in the moment. Mm-hmm. For me, I was just trying to do well in school and try and get through the season. But I guess as you get older and you see, well, I guess we were doing well as a team. Mm-hmm. I, I was having a pretty good year doing what I did. And then so you see, oh, maybe I have a chance. And, and that's for us on that side, the only way, the only way we're going to go to college is through athletics. That's why we work so hard in training and mm-hmm. being the best football or baseball player we can because our par- we know our parents can afford it. Mm-hmm. So for us, the investment is the hard work in the weight room, mm-hmm. on the field, doing all that extra stuff. That's our 401 to get into college. Mm-hmm. So, and that's what I was striving for. At first, I was looking at smaller schools. Like, I think I was looking at, like, uh, I mean, Linfield, Willamette, mm-hmm. the smaller schools because I'm the biggest guy. And I was planning on hey, maybe I'll go that route because I was doing all the financial aid things all by myself, filling out all the papers by myself and just planning ahead to go to college. And I, I was, my mind was pretty much looking at smaller schools to go to school. And then uh, we had a great year. Um, I was fortunate to do well. And then I got the offer from UH late, which was pretty late. And so, yeah, that, that's how I ended up at University of Hawaii. And I also have to ask because it is what your career and your profession is right now and you do a great job. So thinking back, we all have stories when we first started getting introduced to strength and conditioning. When did that happen for you? Was it early in high school? Was it later on that you tended to take it more seriously? Or you mentioned too that, you know, you're a little undersized, right, for college football. So when did that click that strength and conditioning became a huge focus for you to actually compete and play at these higher levels? Well, when I first started actually getting like the itch to lift, mm-hmm. I think we were in a sixth or seventh grade, me and my okay. friends in the neighborhood. Uh-huh. And he had like a bench, a weight set. You remember the old plastic white with yeah. the plastic and we were covered by semen yeah. and white plastic on the outside? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So he had that in his garage. And there was like maybe four or five of us would get together. We don't know what the hell we were doing. <laughs> and we would just live, look at magazines and uh-huh. do things. And in the garage, under the light, all the mosquitoes getting bitten. <laughs> and, and that's how I first started. was me, my brother, and guys in my neighborhood. Just uh-huh. looking through magazines, doing some just bench, guys, buys me. Whatever we could do at the bar. That's all uh-huh. we did. And as I got older, got, went to Cocoa High School. They had the weight training courses. I did more with that because I seen, I mean, big boys, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's in eighth, seventh, eighth grade when you're growing up, like, wow, I got to do something to help me get a chance. Uh-huh. And then um, 
when I went to St. Louis, that was a big adjustment for me as well because I seen, I mean, even then the training was at a different level. They had their own weight room. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good sized looking guy. And a lot of guys was training. So that kind of um, got me interested in doing it even more. So if you want to compete with these guys, geez, you got to work hard. And I had the year off, remember? Yes. So I would go to the weight room every day uh-huh. before practice and lift and train and then go to practice. And then if I had time after, I would stay a little while after and train as well. So I yeah. did that during the whole off season. And that kind of got my blood flowing and, and into the strength and conditioning. Um, and then in the summers, I'll go home. And then we used to train at this place called Iron Shack okay. in Haula. Okay. And there's the only weight room in Haula. The mm-hmm. Wilkins family had it on their property. And you go over there, you got to take off your shoes, your slippers, barefoot inside you cannot drop the weights you got everything got to be nice and you got to sweep when you're done so it was really good i mean i I went through a whole different gambit of places uh uh, for training and then when i started at uh um uncle john farley who used to coach at byu Mm -hmm. uh in provo strength coach he lives in laie we i used to go train with him he used to help get me started as well (laughs) and it would be in his yard under the mango tree with the dirt and all outside things. So mm-hmm. it was really, I went through a bunch of different areas, but it was good. It was just, uh, just hard work. You know what I mean? Yeah. We have none of these fancy things like we have now. We just had a bar and weights and you just worked. So. Yeah. And I mean, that's really, you know, we both know that's all you need. You just need, you know, minimal equipment and you just need to put in the work. Right. And sometimes that's when the best training happens is when you're just, you know, they're consistently and putting in the work day after day. And I want to touch on this a little bit because, you know, you've been here where you've seen kind of the evolution of strength and conditioning, not only in Hawaii, but at UH as well. So think about when you were, you know, playing football and baseball at UH, how, you know, how far has the strength and conditioning program, the department come, you were a tremendous part in that, you know, with, you know, making the strength clinic and everything like that. But think about when you were in college, what was that experience like? And did that make you want to pursue a career in strength and conditioning? Uh, well, when I was at UH, it was totally different. Like, yeah. like our weight room was probably one fourth of the size that we have right now uh, in, the, in the Waterhouse weight room. And it was the, the current football shower room. So that's how small the place was. And we used to share it with the student body. So... <laughs> If we wanted to lift after practice, you would go in there and we'd have like maybe 60, 70 guys in there, please. Hot, sweaty, and stink. And you'd go and do your lift every between sets. You had to go outside just so you could breathe and catch your breath. And that's what that place was. But it was, I think you had like two benches, two squat racks, two leg presses, and one platform, and then dumbbells, and then a pulley system. And that was it. Yeah. So, I mean... But I tell the guys back then we had some strong guys. We had a lot of, and we I think we're stronger than these guys now. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That goes to show you that the, the all the the facilities and stuff is one thing, but mm-hmm. if you have a passion mm-hmm. to to be stronger and get better. It's up to you. Mm-hmm. And that that weight room produced a lot of great players. Yeah, and a lot of great teams. Yeah. yeah so um, yeah, these guys are very fortunate to have what they have. Um, and that was 18 sports trying to cram it at one spot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Plus and, the student body. And the student body. <laughs> yeah. but, it, 
Once they, I think they opened the the facility up to the students at like five or something. Got it. So every time we'd come after football practice, it would be like five thirty six. Try to go in there and get some extra workout in, but it was crazy. And then they used oh even on this side the academic center where it is now they had the, the Nautilus room all the machine weights. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they had two, but nobody would go in there because that was all machines. Got it. And they had like the hydraulic systems and stuff <laughs> yeah. in there. So I would go back and forth because I could get some things done in there that I couldn't that yeah. I couldn't get in the other side. So it was good to have that second um, place open. But yeah, Got it. So, that so was tough. That was tough. Yeah. So bouncing around, you know, strength, trying to get strength work in, playing football, then jumping straight into baseball season, right? What do you think that has helped you with to this day in your career? Because I think you really do a great job with all the student athletes and you understand what kinds of things they need to, you know, work, put in the work to be prepared for their sports. So being that dual sport collegiate athlete, how did that help you with how you're running the strength program today? I just think that help, it helps me understand the different, keep a balance mm-hmm. and understand what they have to go through at, at their own sport. Mm-hmm. I try not to do too much or too little mm-hmm. um, and understanding what is required, what they need for their sport and understanding that the weight room is awesome, but at the same time, you got to be smart at the same time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I learned a lot from my own experiences, like, it's good to want to get after it, but at a certain point, you got to be smart yeah. and look at risk and reward. Mm-hmm. I think that helps me a lot because even this past training uh, sessions, I got to get on guys. Mm-hmm. They want to go for records and blah, blah, blah. And I got to get into arguments with them. Like I got to cut them off and they're pissed off. Yeah. I got to freaking yell at them like, bro, I'm doing this for you, not for me. Uh-huh. The risk mm-hmm. is not worth the reward. One thing goes wrong with this thing and you are done. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it worth it? To me, it's not. Yep. And I, I make the last call. So uh, I just try to keep in mind that we, we try to keep these kids on the field as long as possible mm-hmm. and try to do things that will benefit them in the long run. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they might, they might not agree, mm-hmm. but um, I mean, I'm just trying to do things from my experiences and what I think is best for them. Mm-hmm. If it was my son or daughter, what would I do? Would I, and, and that's pretty much how I approach all my athletes. Mm-hmm. This is with my son or my daughter. What would I do? Mm-hmm. And so I try to make the best decision for them and then um, learn from my experiences and what happened from the past uh, to try and help them be successful. Yeah. And anyone that knows you or has been around the program, they know that you take care of everyone like family. And, you know, I think that's the passion and everyone sees it, that you're looking out for their best interests. And not only that, but helping them to try to perform and, you know, achieve all of the potential that they can achieve right now, not taking anything away from your collegiate athletic career, but I do want to talk about, you know, more about what you've built there in the past few decades, decades, all of the things that you've been through from an athlete standpoint at University of Hawaii, I think that gives you a unique perspective as to how to approach this program and how to build and move forward with this program, because you have that perspective from going through the exact same program. So all of that is super beneficial. And we've seen what has happened after that. So let's talk about how did you actually get into strength and conditioning? Um, I 
correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you went back to Kahuku and you coached a little while, football, baseball. And then after that, you came back and you were a member of the staff in the strength and conditioning program here at University of Hawaii. So explain that a little bit. What was that transition like? What made you decide I want to pursue being a strength and conditioning coach? Yeah, so when I, when I was playing sports in the summers, I always stayed, always stayed and trained on campus. And I would volunteer with Kaleane um, and help clean the weight room with Glenn. Uh, Glenn Nakai was also assistant. He runs the baseball stadium now. So I would train and then I would volunteer and help those guys. And I would like clean the weight room, um, rack weights mm-hmm. uh, during the summer. So I, I did that every summer while I was here. Uh, and just and I would train at the same time. Mm-hmm. So when I wasn't playing, I was always around the guys, and it was always good to be around those guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I got done, when I graduated, and I, I got a chance of going through teaching, mm-hmm. I still I guess I had a good relationship with those guys, and then I I, I actually got into Kahuka, and I finally got a full time job. I finally made it like, all right, I'm in my hometown. I'm full time. I'm teaching at my high school and I'm getting the coach. I made, I'm, I'm good. I'm set. Mm-hmm. And then I think a year into it or six, seven months into it, I get a call from Curtis Suruto. So he actually took over for Glenn Nakaya. And he asked me, Hey Tom, would you like to be interested in coming back to UH and being a strength coach and blah, blah, blah. I was like, Oh, wow. I, I really love athletics. I mean, I love athletics. Teaching was great, but I had a hard time being in a room for eight hours. <laughs> I, mean, I, I could not see myself staying in a room for that long. So I was always eager to get outside and do different things. But he mentioned that uh, opportunity was there at the University of Hawaii. But he said it's, it's only a part-time position. So I could only get paid 20 hours a week mm-hmm. and making, I don't know, blah, blah, whatever. Nothing compared to what I was making at Kuku already as a full-time teacher. So I tell him, give me some time to think about it. So I, I was torn because I had two good things, two things that I love, and I had to choose one. And then I talked to my dad, and he said, boy, you do whatever makes you happy. Whatever makes you happy, you go, go do it. And I said, wow. I, I, would, I, I love to be in a – Athletic training more than I love being in a classroom. Mm-hmm. Athletic, um, athletic environment. So I made that, I made that leap of faith, mm-hmm. and um, it was tough because I was only getting paid like three hundred dollars every two weeks, mm-hmm. and I was working from six to seven at night, five days a week, walk, walking to work from Date Street. Okay. And so we gave up a lot. So, and that's how I got back into co- the collegiate setting. I gave up my full-time teaching job to come back and take a chance. Yeah. Take a chance at being a strength coach. And um, at that time, it was just me and Curtis for 18 sports. Wow. Out of, out of the same weight room. Yeah. In that one. So, oh, it was, it, was, it was, I never thought about the hours or the pay because I loved it. Mm-hmm. All those time, I, I, it really didn't matter to me because I enjoyed training the kids. Mm-hmm. And Curtis would do the, the big sports like football, basketball, and I would take care of all the teams that never had a strength coach before. Mm-hmm. So I would do like the basket, women's basketball, women's soccer, women's volleyball. I mean, all the teams that kind of was like pushed it aside, I, I jumped on those. Mm-hmm. 
And that's how I got my start, working with all the smaller teams and, and working with those coaches and those programs and just getting experience. Uh, so, yeah, I, I gave up one dream to pursue another one. And it was, it was tough. And I did that for five years. Yes. Barely scraping by, making – I just made enough to pay my rent for per month. Lucky my wife was a waitress, so she kind of lived off of her, the rest of the things. But, yeah, I did that for five years as a part-time assistant. That's great for sharing. I mean, thanks for sharing that because for most people, right, it's – at some point in your career, you're going to come to this crossroads and you're going to have to choose right between what you want to pursue more, what you're passionate about. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of the other guests on this podcast, they share similar stories. I'm probably in my point right now where I just recently <laughs> had to, you know, choose which one am, am I going to do, but um, it's good to hear that following your passion, I think, even if you have to sacrifice a lot and it's hard in the beginning and, and things like that, if you're passionate, you're going to keep going. Right. And when you keep going, that's when you're going to grow the most probably and more opportunities, more doors are going to open, which has definitely happened for you. Um, before we go on to, you know, becoming a full-time staff member. So at Kahuku, what were you teaching? Actually, I got my degree in Hawaiian history, Hawaiian language. Yes. I was the I was, uh, there was a school of Hawaiian Asian Pacific studies. They called it SHAPS back then. Mm-hmm. And I was the first class of the Hawaiian, Pacific, Hawaiian, Hawaiian studies program. Me, there's two of us. So they go school of Hawaiian Asian Pacific studies stand. There's two of us. There's two. <laughs> so yeah, so it was uh, awesome as well. Cause I got to learn a lot of my Hawaiian history in college. Yes. Things that I never had the opportunity to learn. Gave me identity. Let me know who I was. Mm-hmm. which also helped me let me know where I got to go now. Wow. So I, I truly believe that, and I encourage all our athletes, go find out more about you and your history mm-hmm. and your family, because once you find those things out, it's going to make a lot of things clearer mm-hmm. for you. You know, you're going to understand why you're the way you are, who you are. Mm-hmm. And then it also gives you direction yes. and what, what you should do in the future. And it's going to guide you. So, being in the Hawaiian studies program was a huge positive for me. Yes. And um, so, yeah, yeah, I was teaching um, Hawaiian Pacific studies. Got it. Yeah. And all of these things, you know, it kind of comes together whenever you pursue your passion too, because I'm sure, like you said, learning about yourself, learning about the history and all of that, I'm sure that helps you not only with your profession, but helps you at the University of Hawaii, helps you to incorporate some of these things with the local players, relate to them, right? And even pass on words of wisdom to them as well. So moving moving on, when you actually, you know, sacrificed a lot and you were here part-time, you know, just trying to push through and then get more experience, what was it that, well, what what did you learn first, training all of the the teams that did not necessarily had have structured strength and conditioning. And then how did that transition into the full-time slot? Well, I learned a lot and I'm grateful that I had to take that path. It was super hard, but I learned how to do everything. Mm-hmm. And I tell my GAs now, if you ever have an opportunity to go to a place, whether it's a big school or a small school, go to the small school. Because over there you're gonna have you're gonna have to do more things. You're gonna have more responsibilities. You might have to do a lot of things on your own. But in the end, it's gonna make you a better coach. Because now, once you go to someplace else, a power five or guys that have the resources, 
it's gonna be a piece of cake. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything is gonna be so much easier. So that's why I'm grateful for the way I did it. I didn't have any internship opportunities. I didn't. I wasn't a GA. Mm-hmm. I went straight from playing to teaching to right back and training. So I learned a lot of things on my own. I mean, a lot of things through trial and error, learning from Coach Saruda, uh, Kale, Glenn, the things that they did. Try to put things together, experiment. Oh, not so, not too good. Okay, try to do some different things, and also do some things that I did as an athlete. That I think. So I tried to reach into all different areas and try to put something together that I thought would benefit the athletes. And then I try to get feedback from them as well. So I was learning on the job. I mean, for those times. So that five years taught me a lot about facilities, um, being flexible with your training being creative because you don't have the space taking care of your facility because it's only you guys there. So we got to do all the cleaning, wiping down, having pride in keeping that place nice and clean. Um, and then giving your best to the coaches, the athletes, communicating. Mm-hmm. I mean, all that, I mean, I learned a super <laughs> ton of things and I'm grateful I went out that way um, because I would never have made it if I, went to a big place and just had one team and mm-hmm. mean, everything was provided for me. So I'm very grateful. And I had some great coaches. I got the chance to work with legends in Hawaii, University of Hawaii um, athletics, um, coach Vince Gu, mm-hmm. Dave Shoji, Riley Wallace, yeah. um, Les Murakami. I mean, I worked with those guys like individually with those teams and had mm-hmm. personal relationships with those guys, coach Mike Wilton. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, all those guys had a chance to work with. So that was awesome. All of that, I mean, like you said, all of these things you can't prepare for or learn in advance. You just got to go through the experiences and learn all of these things when you have it all on your plate, right? Kind of thrown into the fire in a way. Mm-hmm. And after you have done this, and it's always, I know, I know you're a big proponent for continuing to learn, right? And that's why you've created a lot of different resources in Hawaii. But as you did all of this, how did it transform into you getting the full-time position and becoming the head strength and conditioning coach? Um, I think we continued to push through with myself and Coach Saruda. And then my main goal was to get a full-time position. I mean, I wanted to be a full-time thing just so I could get the benefits. I could uh, uh, medical, mm-hmm. all the things that the full-timers had. I just wanted to get to that status. And I worked. I just kept working and I was praying one day that they would, uh, I would finally get that. I think I met, I think I talked to coach Lumpkin. I remember coach George Lumpkin. One yeah, day. Yes. So he, was, he was my football coach and he was coaching the same time. And he asked me, Tom, what are you trying to do? Tom? I said, coach, I just trying to get to a full-time status so I can continue to do this mm-hmm. and you may get to that next level so I can be a little bit more um, stable mm-hmm. in my job. So mm-hmm. I can continue to do this and put in the work and the hours. And I read, and he asked me that and I told him that I think he was a big proponent for me moving forward. Mm-hmm. Cause I think he's seeing the work I did, um, the passion I had for the program and the hard work I put in for the teams, all the different teams. Mm-hmm. And I think um, he was uh, one of the guys that kind of helped me try to get to that level. And then I finally got it. I think, I, five, I was here for five years, I think. Mm-hmm. And then I got to that level. And then I think Coach Saruda ended up leaving soon after 
I think he had another position offered to him for, on the mainland. Okay. And he, he went to the mainland. So that left just me pretty much by myself for all these teams. So I was I took over the whole thing after that. So like yeah. and I tried to find different ways to get help. Like I would talk to the kinesiology guys, I would talk to guys who was training and see if we could get some extra help and just extra eyes in the weight room. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's how I got the full time position. And after that I just started slowly trying to figure out how we can build this thing and mm-hmm. get more um, support for the strength and conditioning program so we could better support our athlete, uh, our teams and coaches. Yes. So when this all happened, when you were there by yourself at one point, that was like early 2000s, around 2000s? No, this was like late 98, 99. Okay, yeah. late 90s. 90s. And then, oh yeah, when Coach Jones came in. Got it. And then Coach Jones brought in uh, Coach Mel DeLauro. Yes. So he was the head for football. And then I did. I was overseeing everything else. Got it. So yeah. how long did it take to get more staff, more help, even GA positions? <laughs> Explain a little bit about those struggles. Trying to staff. We are Division One program. So how do you actually staff and get more help to where you are now? Wow. It was crazy. At first, it was I had to be very creative. Uh-huh. I had a budget. I think I had a work study budget of so much money. I went to the admin. And I said, you know what? I'll give up all this money if you give me a GA. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll trade. <laughs> I, I had to make deals. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to figure out how I can make things work. And at first, I used the work study because that, that was only a quarter of our budget. The rest would come from federal. So I used that a lot to get people to come and help. And then I ended up actually making a trade with admin to, hey, I'll give you this money back. Uh-huh. I don't want it. Give me on GA. Uh-huh. And I think that was the first move in getting a GA. Got and it. my first GA was Brian Schroeder of Samson Equipment. Okay. And that's his family owns Samson Equipment. Got it. Now he's going to be the next guy to take over Samson Equipment. So he uh-huh. was my first GA. And out of when he first came out from Las Cruces. Mm-hmm. So... After him, I think we, we had one. Then slowly, I've, I've, I think I talked to different uh, administrators and coaches to build the pool where we could get now two. Got it. And then slowly, I just try and kept – I just used different stats, statuses and reports from the conferences and compared us to different places. Hey, this is the WAC. Mm-hmm. This is what BYU has. This is what Air Force, Mexico, Wyoming. This is what they have. And this is what we have. That's not right. Mm-hmm. So I me, mean, oh, we go one more then. So uh-huh. slowly, we got the tables turning, and we got to build our staff slowly. Um, but it, it was it was a slow process, slow process, and we're still continuing try to try to build it even more. Right now, we currently have four full time. One is strictly football, mm-hmm. and then we have uh, three GAs, so seven, seven on staff. Um, and that's a huge change from where we came from, mm-hmm. but I think we still, we can still uh, do better. We're, we're just talking about it pretty recently, like uh, last month or a <laughs> couple months ago, but you know, up, across the mountain West, some of them have a lot of, you know, staff just, just focused on football. 
right? Yes, so, yes. you know, the numbers still need to grow, but I think with the staff and numbers that you do have, the amount of things that you do for the student athletes, that is amazing. So, you know, even though short staffed, hopefully it's something that there'll be more value and you can get more and more staff uh, in there. No, yeah, it's good because like I explained to you guys, you guys are so lucky. You guys, this is a piece of cake. <laughs> you guys got three, four teams. That's nothing. I mean, Compared so, to 18, I yeah. Yeah, I don't feel sorry for these guys. <laughs> yeah. what do. you know what I mean, compared yeah. to where we came from in the oh, past yeah. and where it is right now, it's much better for all of the teams and programs. Mm-hmm. But uh, but nowadays, you know, they, they, they want even more. They want coaches at practices. They, they want them to travel. Mm-hmm. So that's great. That's great. And then if we can continue, if we can continue to build our numbers, then we can give even more yes. specific attention to the teams that we're with. And, that, and that's what we try to do. So. so with the GAs, you know, you increasing those positions, how long did it take to actually get to your four full times? Was that a long time that you were just with two full times? And is that more of a recent thing or? That was yeah, a long really- time. I think we just added that third well, the football one was kind of ongoing with football. Mm-hmm. They always had their own guy. Um, but for a long time, we were doing football. Yes. You know I mean? It was yes. like I was doing football and and everybody else. Yes. And then now you get – I don't know. I think it just depends who the coach that comes in. If they want certain things, they didn't make it happen. Mm-hmm. So some of the later coaches wanted their own guy, which is good. Mm-hmm. So they've created one for football and that's great. So now you got a football guy that, that helps us because that brings the extra number on. But I mean, when we were doing that, nobody was thinking about all that other stuff, but <laughs> so you see how it goes. But a lot of it has to do with people that come from bigger programs. You know what I mean, when they come here, they see, Hey, we need this, we need that. And that helps as well. Cause sometimes our administration cannot see outside of what we're doing here. When mm-hmm. other people come in, they explain what's going on then they have a better understanding of what is needed and what is lacking. Mm-hmm. So I think that helped build a football one, that football position one. And I think our, our third full time, we probably got like maybe three or four years ago. That's it. Yeah. So not, not too recently. Not too. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. the last five years, I think we got all those things. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it's definitely been a process, slow process, but you know, it's going in the right direction. So that's all that, you know, I know that you want. Now, speaking along those lines, explain a little bit about how the facilities have been a slow process to, to improve and grow coming from that, that quarter of the size weight room, right? With sharing mm-hmm. with the student body. And then now, you know, it's gone through several renovations, I would say. Um, you've even, even expanded into the, the old like student, I guess, weight room, right? And it's kind of grown a little bit. So explain how that has what that process has been like and how that has helped. Yeah, right right now in the, the current facility, the Waterhouse facility in the uh, Stan Sheriff Center, and our facility is 10,000 square feet, which is great. We have uh, 18 racks, so we can do a big teams and a couple teams in here if we got to. And then we also expanded into the old KRS weight room, which mm-hmm. is down the hall, and we kind of reorganized that area and put 11 racks in there. Mm-hmm. So we have two official training spots. One is more for smaller teams. Mm-hmm. And this one is primarily for the bigger teams like football, baseball, mm-hmm. and other teams when they're not training. We have a challenge as far as like budgeting that is set for uh, 
strength and conditioning that allows us only to make repairs and small purchases here and there. Nothing um, where we can expand and develop it more. So it's kind of a tough situation where we're just putting band-aids on things for now. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully we can come up with a project and get and, and refurbish the place. The weights we have are old. We have some that are original from 94. Yes. When we first opened up, uh, some of the, the bumper uh, racks and the wood platforms are originals. Some of the squat racks on the far corner are originals. The hammers are all originals. <laughs> and the only new equipment is probably the, the racks that down the middle, the double-sided racks, mm-hmm. 12 of them. But those are good because we can do a bunch of things in, the, in that one area. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the challenge is the, is the upkeep and then looking to expand and getting more of the um, a modern uh, equipment and training facilities, like the training facilities that are across developing across the conference. Mm-hmm. I know there's a plan to um, do some things in the summer, hopefully, this coming mm-hmm. summer. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we can get some uh, inlaid flooring uh, and then that would take up, that would be awesome because now it opens up our four space mm-hmm. and lets us do more functional things in the weight room. Hopefully with that uh, inlaid, we can add additional racks to the 18 we have. And, and so we can be more um, functional in here. So yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I know you're always looking forward to growing and building the program, the facilities. But one thing I want to ask you about too is the culture that you've built there. Because the culture, and I know that you produce a lot of people that have played professionally, a lot of people that have just developed greatly in the strength and conditioning department during their time there, right? So explain a little bit about that. Going through this program yourself, seeing it through the times where it was just one or two of you, right? And seeing all of the services that you guys have provided over the decades, what kind of culture or what's the atmosphere that you're looking to build regardless of the facility this is all the things with the teams well i think the number one word i would use is family Mm -hmm. i think that's probably the most important thing Uh, we're gonna work hard Mm -hmm. we can get after it and that's not gonna change Mm -hmm. but in the end i hope i want the kids and, and the workers to feel like they're family and we're all on the same side we all have the same goals and we're gonna do it the right way and we're going to support each other along the way. So I think for me, that's the most important thing. I think um, I learned early in my um, career in the strength and conditioning profession when I first started. I learned that it's important that you want to go to work. Like when you come to work, that you're happy at work. (laughs) And I had some times where I wasn't happy where things wasn't uh, um, the way I, I, I wanted it to be. And there were some, um, some down times, I would say. Mm-hmm. It wasn't all great. Mm-hmm. And you have some times where you have some uh, struggles and some uh, things you learn from. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I learned from early is that I want to make sure that I have a culture or environment that is um, family-like. Mm-hmm. And then our, our workers and our GAs enjoy coming to work. And we don't have personal issues or things that's building up that's going to affect our job and how we train our athletes and then our our overall experience here at the University of Hawaii. So 
that was one of the main things for me and the most important lessons I learned early um, work in working here is that uh, mm -hmm. I want to make sure that uh, we have a great, good, good uh, teaching and working environment. Yes. And you definitely do that. I think when you go in there, you know, the energy is great. Everyone's supporting each other, good atmosphere. So it's something that, yeah, it makes a huge difference, right? Because sometimes the success of strength and conditioning is not with the actual facility or the weights itself or how well people are progressing with their strength, right? It's all the intangibles, you know, that help to separate the results from being just mediocre to being great. So I like, you know, the atmosphere, I like everything that you've done. And I mean, I know I haven't seen everything, but seeing this since around 2007, eight ish, I've seen the growth of all of this. And I've, I've been there, I think for the first strength and conditioning clinic. Um, so I want to talk about that too, because before that there was nothing in Hawaii, right? I mean, even for CEUs and things for coaches and for strength, strength coaches, there was really nothing here. So let's explain about that a little bit. What made you have this idea to create this strength and conditioning clinic for you know, everyone in Hawaii and then connect with your network, bring down speakers and all of this to put on this event annually and talk about what sparked that and the growth of that too. Well, the, the strength clinic was, uh, I mean, it took us years to get that going. Mm -hmm. And what kind of uh, sparked my desire to do that was understanding how hard it was for us as a staff to make it to our national conference each year that we have for our strength coaches. So we have our national every year and we go there just to maintain our CUs. And, and the main thing is networking and seeing the other coaches and vendors and just staying in contact. That's super important for us. And that's a must. And then doing that over the years, I was, I, I always thought about our coaches here, like, well, if it's this hard for us to get here to learn and network, imagine how hard it is for our high school and people in a community who do it for free mm -hmm. and the work that they do on their own, that they give back to the kids. It's not fair that they don't have the opportunities like this to, for them to get better at what they do. And I think after one conference, we came back and we had a staff meeting and we brought it up like, Hey, I, we, we should bring something like this here to Hawaii so we could give back to our local coaches and trainers and all the guys that do a good job with the kids here. And then it started from there. We started brainstorming. Okay. How do we get sponsors? Who are we going to invite? I mean, how, how many days is it going to be? How are we going to set? We never done something like this before. Yeah. So it was a lot of, it takes a lot of planning and a lot yeah. of work yeah. um, because we wanted to do a first class event. We didn't want to just mm -hmm. have a, just have something just to have something. If we was going to do something, we wanted to make it the best. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a lot of work. I, I learned a lot just from doing that because uh -huh. it taught me how to reach out to approach sponsors, how to talk to um, different coaches and network with the high schools and the athletic trainers and PTs. Mm -hmm. So all of that was so new to me, but again, I learned something different. Yeah. And it made me better as a coach because I, I, I knew how to do this now. Not only coach, but I could reach out and influence the community and have the community support us now. So that was a huge undertaking. But I think we 
in the past, we started like maybe eight, nine months out or a yes. year just to get the ball rolling, start contacting potential speakers from our, and we wasn't just getting speakers from Hawaii. You know, yes. our approach was, we're going to bring in speakers. We're going to bring in the best from around the country, around the world. <laughs> That's what we did. We wasn't shy to ask. And we, we, we try to identify the best at their different sports or uh, research or their schools. And we tried to bring those guys in and we try to make sure it was a good fit too. Like the group of people coming was a good fit together uh-huh. and they would all enjoy the experience together as well. So that was a huge, it was a huge learning experience. And then you know, once you get, once you do it once or twice, then it gets a bit easier because you know how to, how to approach it for the next time. So yeah, that was the goal is to just give back to the community, not really about making money, it was just to give back. And then whatever we did make would go to our weight room foundation. Mm-hmm. And that's how we would actually go to our conferences because we don't get fun. We don't get a money is appropriated for us to go to our national conference. Mm-hmm. We got to kind of figure that out on our own. So mm-hmm. we use those funds to help us with our uh, professional development as well and help get our GAs over. Cause I think it's important for them to go as well to network and set themselves up for the future when they got to look for a full-time position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I will say that you definitely bring in class A presenters and people that are the best at what they do. I've seen the growth. I've enjoyed going through it, you know, before my grad program, during my grad program, and even after, and, you know, trying to support in any way that we can, even if that's just volunteering to help you guys, you know, set up a breakdown, but it's such a great clinic for the whole community to get exposure to some of the things that's happening outside of Hawaii. Now, thinking about, you know, after the first few years, like you said, you learned a lot and all of that. How has it grown? Because even like attendance, I don't want to, I don't know for sure, but I think the attendance has grown exponentially. You know, how has the growth of the whole strength clinic uh, been over the past, what is it, like maybe 12, 13 years now? Yeah, we had a chance to do it 10 years in a row. And then the, the pandemic kind of put us yes. a hold the last two years. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's continued been growing to where now we can reach out across the world mm-hmm. and bring in presenters. We actually had a, a deal with the Australian uh, National Strength and Conditioning Association, and they would send in a speaker here, and we would send one there to their conference. So oh. we started building relations with different entities in strength and conditioning and, and building relationships from across the globe. Japan, we brought in speakers from Japan. Australia, Germany, um, and in the States and in Hawaii as well. And then we also try to include local um, people as well, because we have, we do have a lot of great local talent, uh, coaches, trainers, and PTs. I mean, we have a lot of great people in Hawaii as well. So we try to get people from across the globe, but yeah, it has grown. And then our, that helps our sponsorship as well. So now we can go after, um, more people because they see the work we're doing, the positive effects it has on the community. And it makes it easier for us to go and try to reach out to different uh, groups to support the clinic. And what that does is allow us to keep the cost down, provide better um, experiences for them as far as the, the food, the socials, you know, we have entertainment. <laughs> yes. it, it, it's really, you cannot beat what you're getting for the price you get. I mean, 
And so we provide a lot, the shirts, the packets with everything on top. So and we try to do make sure it's a first-class event for everybody. And then we do help a lot of schools. Like I'll say, if you guys don't have enough, if you don't have funds, just give me the names and we'll figure it out. We'll get guys to help and we'll make it happen. It's not about, again, it's not about making money. <laughs> it's about putting uh, people in the seats so they can go back and, and help their kids. And we encourage everyone from the youth level to PE teachers, to, I mean, to, to us guys, like um, athletic trainers, PT, strength coaches, but it doesn't stop there. You can go, I want the guys in the, working with kids in elementary and high school, coaching in the youth program. Yeah. I'm sure everybody can take something away from oh, it. Yes. So that's the goal. Yes. And that is definitely, you know, that's a good, good thing to mention because the more that we get exposed to these kinds of things, the more that everyone's going to work together. Right. And then the student athlete is really going to benefit from all of this information and this knowledge and the, you know, attending an event like this. I do want to mention for future sponsorships. And I know you guys do a great job getting all the sponsorships and everything like that. But if there's any, anyone that's interested in helping to support, how can they reach you and contact you? And I'll put this in the show notes as well. Yeah, if they're interested, they can uh, email me. I'm at T-H-E-F-F-E-R-N at hawaii.edu. I think you can find my info on the uh, UH site. Yeah, hopefully we can get it going again. Uh, that's a big part of, of what we do in our community service each year. And I, I want to add like uh, another thing that's different about our clinic is we had a Hawaiian cultural component. Mm. And I think that's huge as well. We try to take time to share things about the Hawaiian culture or some um, activities in the past. I mean, past speakers, we had um, Nainoa Thompson from the Hawaiian Voyaging Society. Uh, we had some other people that represented um, some different aspects of hula or kihualu. This one year we had kihualu slack key. Mm-hmm. Those guys did an awesome job. So every year we try to make sure we have a cultural component just to um, tie things into Hawaii as well. Yes. So. Uh, I think that's a huge part, and a lot of people look forward uh, to that section as well. A little mm-hmm. bit different, but it's something that everyone can take 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 part and learn. No, everything that's in the clinic outside of the speakers is a great experience. And like you said, it's so much, you get so much more value than what the price is. You know, you guys keep the price down and get a lot of support. So yeah, if anyone's interested in attending for sure, or just supporting the event and being a sponsor, then I'll make sure that... You know, we put all of that in the show notes so they can reach out to you. Along those lines, where can they find the information of the actual event? And do you think that you're going to have it again in 2022? Well, we're waiting because I don't want to do a virtu- virtual mm-hmm. conference. To me, that's that, that's great, but I, I want to see people. Uh-huh. I'm going to be hands-on. I want everyone to come back to the campus. Uh-huh. But we can do it the right way. So once we get the clearance to have our cl- clinics like we had in the past, mm-hmm then we're going to do it. And if that's uh, this year or in January, it probably won't be this January, but once I have a better idea from our administration, as far as where we head, as far as uh, uh, on-campus activities, then we'll start planning it. So we're very excited. We just talked about it as a staff uh, last week. And, um, but for sure, when, when it comes back, we're going to make sure we do it the right way. So yes. Exciting. Yeah, we're all looking forward for it to come back to you. But yeah, great thing that you have going on in the community. And the last thing that I wanted to ask you is, you know, think about all of the experiences 
that you've gone through through UH as a strength and conditioning coach, building the program and all of that. What are some of your words of wisdom that you like to pass on to student athletes or really anyone that's looking to progress in strength and conditioning, progress in sports, progress in school? What's some of your words of wisdom that you can pass on to to the younger generation? Oh, wow. Well, there's so many lessons and different things you can learn. Um, I would say pursue your passion, number one. Find out uh, what you love, and then, if possible, try and do that the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of things won't be sports won't be. So when you have a lot, when you have the chance to play sports, I mean, enjoy it because that, that 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 time goes by, and then sooner or later that comes to an end. Mm-hmm. But um, you can learn a lot, a lot of life experiences through sports. And I think that's the, the one great thing about sports is you learn uh, things that you can come through in regular life. Your ups, the downs, um, the, the, the wins, the losses, the injuries, persevering through injuries, learning how to come back, learning how to compete, learning how to fight, learning how to get back off the ground when you get knocked down. All those things are huge um, lessons that continue to help you as a person. So, and also, I also encourage kids to play as much sports as possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're in a day now where people like to focus in on one uh, sport too early, I think. And I think the more sports you can play um, growing up to when you have to decide for one, it's going to make you better at that one because you're doing all these other things that has nothing to do with your sport, but they make you overall a better complete athlete. Mm -hmm. And I totally believe that. Um, And then when you get to that level, when you're, don't forget to look back at where you came from. Mm I mean, you're going to start here, but when you get to the top, um, turn around and look back. I had a lot of good people. Great coaches when I was younger. Mm-hmm. They helped me get to where I am today. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just, I mean, you can't do it by yourself. Mm-hmm. So much people put time into you and your parents, your family, your coaches, your friends. So, Wow. I mean, it takes a lot of work to get to the top. And then when you get there, be humble. Mm-hmm. Like the song says, be humble and kind. That's a great song to listen to. And then um, one thing I also share sometimes, not too much, because kind of emotional for me. I have a, my oldest daughter, her name is Hiridai. And uh, she's special needs. So um, the things that she can and cannot do is kind of limited. Um, and for me, she kind of puts life in perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, just a reminder that everybody has a different role to take. 
And a lot of times I ask, I mean, sports was very good to me. Athletics been good to me. I had to, I got a chance to do a lot of different things, mm-hmm. go to college, travel, play football, play, play baseball. And my daughter cannot do none of that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's hard for me because I ask, why, why her and why not me? How come I was even the chance? And she cannot. But I learned so much from her. Things that you cannot learn. I just, Mm -hmm. yeah, just look at her and it's every day I'm learning from her. Unconditional love. Being angry and then being happy the next second. Enjoying the simple things in life, like just being with family and friends. For Christmas, she told me, I said, Haley, what do you want for Christmas? She said, Daddy, I want, I want Pocky and Boy. <laughs> yeah. So just the simple things that sometimes we take for granted as adults and stuff because we're so competitive and we want to mm-hmm. thinking about our daily struggles and all the things that we do. But these kids don't have a choice. Yeah. They're living with what they got to live with and they make the best of it. And I'm very grateful that I have her because she keeps me grounded and she, she reminds me of what's important in life. And um, so I'm very grateful for my daughter, Helena. She's the oldest. I have two other kids, Mana. My son, Mana, is 15. And my daughter, Halai, is 10. I coach a youth team called Helena Baseball. And we named it after her. So, um, and I, my, I coached my son on that team. And now I just started another team with my daughter. Mm-hmm. So it's been very good. And Helena is our number one fan. Yeah. She goes to every practice with me. She will not miss a practice or a game. And she enjoys being around the kids and seeing the parents and all that stuff. So that's my, the other side of things I do outside. I also coach kids sports, um, baseball, mainly football if I have the time. But that's with, that's, that's with my kids. So, yeah, UH keeps me busy. Then I go home, my kids keep me super busy. And then there's other things as well. So um, I've been very blessed to do what I do. The the the, the experiences and roles I was able to take um, come getting to this point and made, meeting all the different people, players and coaches and people like you that are supportive of the department and all of our, all the things that do here. So I've been very blessed and I'm so thankful for what I can do. And I, I enjoy giving back and working with kids. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of part of. No, I mean, thanks. Thanks for it. sharing. And you know, yeah, we've, you shared that uh, once in a while before, and I really appreciate all of that. And, you know, it does give everyone perspective. Right. And I think, talking to you and working with you that's one of the things everyone knows that you're very down to earth you're humble you know you know all of the things that have helped you to this point and i think that makes all of us want to support you more and like you said it's like a family atmosphere right you know being there to support each other and 
helping each other, not only professionally, but even outside, you know, we're all people first. So all of those things, I mean, I know you do tons of things outside of, outside of UH in the community and you just do it because again, it's your passion and you want to help other people like they're your family. So that's something that I always admire about, you know, all of the work that you're doing. And I don't know how you do it too. You stay really active you're in better shape than most of us on the island and you're playing basketball with your staff you're telling me and stuff (laughs) i'm thinking if i go try to play basketball it's gonna be terrible for one but probably might get injured or something you know gonna happen to because you know but i like all of these things that you do um outside of here to just treat staff treat your family treat other people that you're working with like family too so it's something that i always uh, admire about what you're doing not only at uh but outside in the community as well but overall i mean i know you're really busy thanks for taking the whole time to share your story talk about all of this and you know all of the the great things that you're looking forward to in the future as well other than that you have any last words tommy oh no i'm just thankful for finally get on uh, with you in the program is awesome. I got to come and check out your weight room at your, your place now. Yes. It looks good from here. Yeah, a little here. bit. Yeah, yeah. come by anytime. And, you know, I would love to have you. And I'm at UH now, so we'll connect a lot more in the upcoming years. And I look forward to seeing how the strength and conditioning program and everything at UH grows as well. But overall, I mean, great episode. Thanks so much for sharing. And thanks for coming on, Tommy. All right. Thank you. Have a nice day. Appreciate it.